Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about technology that's important to us and important to you. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. Okay, Mr. Davis, let's help ourselves to another big old helping us, some tech gumbo. Sounds great. Start off with the news and updates. Starlink had initially said they were going to have high-speed data caps. And they were going to have priority plans for the best speeds, but they seem to have backed off from that. They now no longer have the cap. Previously, it would be if you exceeded their one terabyte of high-speed data consumption, you'd have to pay per gig after that. But they're now saying that maybe you don't even have to pay above the one terabyte. Just everyone will be able to continuously use the data streams. That's right. This is a big win for the Starlink users out there that, okay, if you're into streaming a lot of movies and you've been really hitting all those those 4K movies and you don't have enough to do with anything else, you can really hit those data limits pretty quick. They have said, though, that they can still throttle you. They're just not going to charge you for it. So they're not going to sit there and just leave it wide open, but you won't incur that additional monetary penalty. So you're still going to get however much bandwidth on whatever package you choose. If you go with the 40 megabits up to 200 megabits of speed and how much total bandwidth you're asking for, if you're on the one terabyte plan or the two terabyte plan, you're going to get all of those, that, that amount. If you go over that, it just won't be more money. It just won't be as fast. So the question that I have is that this plan that they put in place is relatively new. So why are they changing it? And so I think there's one of two options. Either the demand for it isn't as high. And so there just aren't as many people who are really pushing this upper limit of their data usage. And I think they they could have overestimated the number of people that are interested in really going after one terabyte of data per month. That, you know, a lot of people who are putting this out there, they really don't need a whole lot of data. They're not trying to run a full business out there. The other option is that their supply has increased. And 
that is a very likely scenario because Starlink now has over 4,000 satellites orbiting the Earth. Yeah, this is their first-gen satellite constellation has reached its capacity. They had initially said in 2019 when they put the first ones up, they were going to put up about 4,000, somewhere between four and 4,500 total satellites of the first-gen, and they have now put up 4,300 total 300 of which have been deorbited for one reason or another, but they are well over 4,000 operating satellites right now. Yeah, I think this is pretty cool. And it's even more interesting that they're currently working on their second generation. They've already started launching the second generation, but they haven't yet to flip the switch to turn them on. They're still talking to the FCC in order to get the proper permissions to do all that. But they are looking to really keep going, keep pushing, trying to make this a better, more expansive, faster, more encompassing network. That's right. The FCC has already licensed them licensed them to have up to 7,500 of the second generation satellites. Now, it's taken them four years to get 4,000, do the math, about 1,000 a year. So, okay, you got another four years to get the next 4,000 up there. And to get to that 7,500, we might be eight years out, which is fine with Starlink. They're they're good with throwing up a one new rocket a week with about 50 or 60 of these, these satellites on them. They, they have signaled that they are preparing to meet this launch cadence, that they are on track, that SpaceX had the large rocket, which failed, but that this is a, a much smaller, much more reliable, much more regular system that they're running here and that they've they've done it enough times, they've worked out a lot of the kinks, worked out a lot of the bugs, and so it's becoming pretty reliable here. Yeah, that large rocket, would, it was never had anything to do with, with Starlink. I mean, it was strictly, that's the rocket to go to the moon or go to Mars with it and spin it how they want. It, it blew up, it didn't return back down to the launch pad. Yeah. Moving along, as if we are just going to drive on into the next story, which happens to be about Wendy's drive through This is pretty interesting. Wendy's has a partnership with Google. They are looking to replace the drive through window with a chatbot here. That's right. They're going to start off in Columbus, Ohio, sometime this summer and you're going to pull up and look at, at the speaker and the speaker is going to say welcome to wendy's what would you like and you're going to give that speaker your order and you're not going to realize you're actually talking to a robot that is the dream here that is that is what google is saying that is what wendy's is saying is that you won't be able to tell the difference i'm a little less sold on it i i want to see it in action before I believe it, I think that it'll be pretty good, but I think that gap between pretty good and very good, I, I'm, I'm curious about. What fascinates me is to see, okay, let's say it works in Ohio where there are no real big accents. Let's bring that thing down here to South Louisiana where we have all the different cultures and all the different accents. Just we have a whole lot of different accents down here in South Louisiana. And that'll be a real fascinating test at whatever point, whenever it gets here. I agree. I think that that's one of the things which makes human speech so interesting is that, yeah, sure, there's the general American accent, 
But if you actually go to talk to people in different parts of the country, you'll hear a lot of different words and a lot of different jargon, a lot of different, you know, nicknames and slang. And so people in different parts of the country might call a Wendy's burger something different. And so that seems like one of the different barriers in order to scale it is that if they call it soda versus pop, that's the one that everyone knows. But what if there's other smaller things? Or what if this is in New York City where you have 10 different languages walking from block to block and from 10 different countries? And then this this bot better know all the different languages right away and not just expect that good old American Midwest Ohio accent. Yeah, I think that this is it's an interesting idea. And if it works, it'll be fantastic. And it'll also be scary because it'll be a harbinger of the types of jobs which could be replaced, which is pretty much all of them. But I I still expect it to have some, have some hiccups. And that's probably why they're trying it at a fast food restaurant. That's okay, if, if you don't get it right on the first try, your cost of failure is kind of low here. If they were much more certain about it, I think they'd be trying it in more high stakes environments. But... It's still, it's it's going to be a good test. I'm very fascinated to see what they learn and how well it goes. I agree. The, the concept of this is just one more job that AI is replacing a whole lot faster than people were expecting it is certainly something to pay attention to. Because if it can now talk to people and have natural conversations, the number of jobs that are now open to, for replacement just went up by a lot. But speaking of artificial intelligence and chat GPT. There are actually tools out there nowadays that can help you detect if something that was written was actually written by the bot or written by a human. Yes. So there are five different main tools. The AI text classifier comes from OpenAI itself. GPT-0 is one of the ones that got a bunch of news back in December, I want to say. There was the Princeton student who wrote it. And there's some other ones, the originality.ai, router AI content detector, zero GPT. And all of them are going to be pretty good. But it's still very difficult to say with 100% certainty if it was written by a human or written by a chatbot. And I think that's the best way to tell is go read a lot of what it's writing you know, sit there and play with ChatGPT yourself and ask it a bunch of questions and have it write paragraphs to you. After you do that a couple times, you'll start to see how it speaks. It's kind of hollow. It's kind of flat. It doesn't really have a lot of life in its writing. And so it's once you just get that ear for it and then you go back and read a lot of natural human writing, it very much jumps out, especially good writing is like, oh, okay, GPT is not there yet and won't be for a while. And so that's something you could definitely train yourself on. The bottom line on this, the article that we we found, it basically said humans are still the best at detecting artificial intelligence. They have all these other, these applications, like, like the one from ChatGPT, that can read something and go, oh yeah, look, we created that, that's us. And there's and some of them will actually give you a, a percentage score. This is 100% human or 100% not human. And you can get numbers anywhere in between all of those. But like you said, 
as a human, you're still smarter and you can still look at something and go, yep, that's that's not human yet. The one of the problems that I, I see is that students are submitting their writing and these are false flagging it. They're saying that, oh, the bot thinks this was written by a bot and the human said, no, 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 I did write this. And so if you are someone who is still submitting a lot of writings and that you're worried about having something throw up that false positive, one of the steps you can take is save drafts of your writing and be able to say, okay, you know, here, here was a different stages. Here you can see here I was on day one, here I was on day two, here I was on day three. And then let me tell you how I did this. Let me tell you how I got to that. And that's that's what makes it still written by a human is that whenever you're involved in that process, then whenever you can start to talk about the specifics and the nuances and the details, that's the best way to defend against accusations like this. Because that's the downside of all of these tools is that there will be times whenever they throw up that false positive. And you can definitely, when you're using Microsoft Word, if you're using Word, you can you can create versions. You can have it automatically version yourself as you're, you're, you every time you save and make changes, save and make changes. It'll keep an ongoing record of what dates you made the changes and what times. And if you want to go back three versions to see what you did, you can always go back. So that's a good tip to pick up on people. And I'm sure the Google Docs does the same thing. Never just never use Google Docs, but. I would imagine it's 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 not a unique thing to Microsoft. Absolutely. Another story that was we a little bit of a follow up. We talked last week about Google Pass keys and that they're going to start rolling these things out. Well, turns out the Google Pass keys are actually much much faster than using passwords. Yeah, this is another one of the arguments is that it's not just more secure, it's also just easier to use. Google said that the success rate for people using passkeys is 65%, so about two thirds, whereas for just typing in a password is about one out of six. And so they said that it's about twice as fast to use the passkey and have that authenticate versus to sit there and have to type all the letters in and you get it wrong and you go, ah, what was it again? And you type it again, you type it again. So this is saying that they're just going to make everything easier by using passkeys. When you consider a lot of companies are going to minimum 15 character passwords at General Informatics, we have a minimum 20 character passwords. I make mistake. I, I probably screw that up three or four times a day typing in my password, if only three or four times a day. Especially because if you have to change it every six months, you sit there and you develop that muscle memory of this is my password or whatever. And then oh, you change it to something else. And it's like, oh, what was it again? Was it version seven? Was it version four? And it's, yeah, pass keys are going to save you so much time and effort. Absolutely. And and it's real exciting. And again, for those of you, if you didn't catch last week's show, the pass keys are basically using biometrics, using a face scan or using a fingerprint or using a, an, an authenticator application or some other means of just banging out a, a password. That's what a passkey is going to provide you. And in, in Apple, Microsoft, Google, and, and a whole lot of other companies have been building this consortium. So they're all going to be using passkeys as soon as they can because they don't want using they don't want you to use passwords anymore because passwords are just not very secure. Absolutely. Speaking of not very secure, 
the videos that were captured by Tesla cars were oftentimes shared around by Tesla employees. Tesla employees were looking through the videos, and then if they found things that were distinct, if things that they found funny, they would take screenshots and share them in large company group chats. This is kind of disappointing, not very surprising that they're number one retaining all of this information, but I guess they have to for their own records, because if you're going to come back and sue Tesla because something screwed up with the car and Tesla can say, well, it wasn't the car's fault, it was you. So maybe that's why, but that means every all these employees are looking at all these videos. And so these, these were videos that happened between 2019 and 2022. A bunch of former employees started letting this word get out. Hey, there was one video of a naked guy walking up to the car and there's a whole bunch of ra road rage videos and just all kinds of things that were going on outside of the car. These are not videos inside the car. Very, very key statement there. That we know of. That we know of. Thank you very much for, for clarifying that too. But yeah, the thing that if Tesla needed to store these videos, encrypt them in some way so the average employee isn't going through them. Why do you have employees looking through these videos? That's what I don't get here. That I, I'm sure that the there's a privacy button that the users somewhere deep inside of one of the terms and conditions that said that we can use your videos for whatever we need. And that is written broadly and written vaguely so that there's no recourse for these people. But this is why why are you doing this? Like what is this is just the employees thinking that it's funny to look at look into people's privacy. Yes. Why does Tesla need to know what the inside of my garage looks like? Because when that car pulls into the garage and it's it takes all the, the footage of that garage and if the door inside to the kitchen was open when you pulled into the garage now you're seeing inside my house if somebody was walking across the doorway now that footage is on camera too and is that something tesla really needs yeah that's that's i think the biggest thing here is that do the ford electric vehicles take that ford has all those fancy cameras around it but if all that footage stays on your truck or just isn't captured, period, it's just live streamed and then gone. Well, why does Tesla need to capture all that? And so this is just another one of those things where it's Tesla had all of this market lead, but there's just more and more reasons to add up to not want the Tesla, even just for the car itself, must completely aside. All these other things are just like, Things against it and things against it, things against it. And at some point you say there are just other better electric vehicles out there. And I know we beat this drum way too many times, but they can't do this in Europe because of the, the GDPR. This is what's going on in the U.S. and other parts of the world where there are not data privacy rights. So if you can have that video stored in, in Unless you've given up that right to have the Tesla, you have to specifically allow Tesla to retain that information in those those areas, those other parts of the world where there is GDPR. Yeah, the reason why this practice stopped was that a Dutch government agency investigation found it and forced them to turn it off. 
So once again, because the European Union has data privacy protections, they're able to stop this company from looking into your house, looking into your garage, looking into your life. So if you're not somebody who cares about your data or your privacy or whatever goes on around you, then maybe you don't need the GDPR kind of protections. And maybe you don't mind having everything about you put all over everywhere. I'm just a little more private that way. We want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the southeastern United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 180 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, program designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of business schools and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business strengths. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like to hear this or previous episodes, check out our podcast. Available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music Audible, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show or you have any suggestions, let us know on our website at www.techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.